And with that being said, growing up, right, that's what I've been calling in sermons, is we have very slowly made our way through the book of Colossians. It's been a long time. We started early last fall. We took a break over the holidays. Pastor Garrett preached all January. Then we picked it up again, and here we are still plodding along. It's 70 degrees out yesterday. Spring has sprung. Of course, it's going to snow tonight. You know, who knows? But it feels like forever that we've been in the book of Colossians, and that's good. I don't preach this way very often, but I think it's been good to just take little tiny chunks, one little bit at a time. We are, however, getting closer and closer to the conclusion of the letter. We're getting closer to the end of this letter that Paul has written to the Christians living in Colossae. I want to remind you what we've been saying from the beginning. This is a letter written by the apostle to a community of believers that had received the gospel with great joy, but pretty soon they realized that coming to faith in Christ is the beginning of a journey. It's not the end of a journey. I think when we're not Christians, we think coming to faith is the end of our spiritual quest. And then we become Christians and we realize, oh, that wasn't the end at all. That was the beginning. And that's the position that the Colossian Christians were in. They, of course, recognized the the raw conviction that they had expressed when they first came to faith in Christ. But now they're learning that there's a difference between that and the deep maturity that's required to actually grow up in the faith. And Paul's letter has been all about how to guide them through that process. And I'm not going to repeat everything I've said in the last eight months, but some of the themes he's hit on are focusing every part of our lives on Jesus, remembering that God is in control of everything in this world, trusting that Jesus is at work in our lives and he has changed our very nature, partnering with him in that effort by changing our focus from earthly things to heavenly things, realizing that God is shaping us into new kinds of people. But I'll bet that at this point in the letter, the Colossians are beginning to think, you know what, Paul, that all sounds very, very good in theory. And we are thumbs up, we are on board. But how does it actually play out in real life? Let's take all of this information and try to describe what it really looks like when the rubber meets the road. And that's exactly what Paul wants to do in these next few lines. So picking up where I left off a week ago in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, I'm going to read six verses this week. Paul says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. Oh, and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. If I think back through my childhood, 
I can remember more than a handful of times that my parents corrected my behavior, not just by saying, Danny, don't do that, but also by saying, here's what you do need to do. Here's what grown-ups do. Here's what it looks like to not make a childish mistake. If you want to be considered as a grown-up, you had better act like a grown-up. By my preteen years, I was often trying to assert my independence and my maturity by citing my age. Come on, mom, I'm 13. I don't need that anymore. (laughs) I remember uh, in my late elementary and junior high days, there was a a pond in town where my buddies and I liked to go fish. And the issue in my house is that I was not allowed to be on the water or at the water's edge without a parent watching. Come on, mom, I'm nine years old, I can swim. Mom and dad would say, the point is we don't want you to swim, so we're going to be there to watch. And I was always trying to say, I'm this old, I've done it this many times, I'm this big, I can handle it. But how many of us know that sometimes parenting is about reminding kids that growing up really doesn't have anything to do with with age, or with experience, or, or with size, or with strength. Growing up is about behavior. And that's what Paul's doing here. This is the most practical advice he can give about spiritual maturity. He's telling them that if they want to be considered mature, then they have to recognize that the way we treat each other matters. Hey, Apostle Paul, what's the telltale sign of spiritual maturity? He asked. Oh, I know, it's how much you read the Bible. I know, it's, it's how long you've been going to church. It's, it's how many small groups you're a part of. It's, it's how many verses you can recite by memory. It's how much you gave to missions last year. I think Paul's like, look, those things are all well and good, but none of them is the hallmark of spiritual maturity. No, Paul says that the spiritual maturity is demonstrated by the way we treat each other in the body of Christ. A lot of the instructions that he's given us to this point in the letter are are pretty conceptual. He's saying, do you want to grow up? Well, then change your mindset. Focus on heaven. Acknowledge the Lordship of Christ. But now, Paul's getting really, really practical. He's saying, want to grow up? Try treating one another better. Try treating one another better. We talked a little bit about this earlier on in the letter. Apparently, there had been so-called teachers going through Colossae trying to teach the new believers spiritual nonsense. They would tell them that real Christians pray to angels or real Christians get special messages from God. They would say real Christians only eat certain kinds of foods or real Christians always fast on particular days. They were trying to tell them that the key to spiritual maturity lay in a bunch of nonsense personal behaviors. But that's not what Paul says. He says it best in verse 14. He says, above all, in other words, the most important thing, more important than anything you do, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together. It matters how we treat each other. He was using a metaphor here, a metaphor uh, about the clothes that we wear. A couple verses earlier, he had said, clothe yourselves, put on these clothes, tender-hearted mercy, 
kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. These are the foundation layers. These are the undershirts and boxer shorts of the mature mature believer. But he's saying over all of that, the outer layer, the covering, the jacket, the coat, the first thing that people notice when they see you, it needs to be the love with which we treat one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. I believe Paul is telling the believers in Colossae that no matter how much they pray, no matter how much they fast, no matter how much scripture they know, no matter what they eat or what they don't eat, no matter what they do or what they don't do, they can't claim to be spiritually mature if they treat each other poorly. Can't call yourself a mature Christian if there are people in your church that you refuse to talk to. You can't call yourself a mature Christian if you left your last church because there were people in that church that you refused to talk to. (laughs) You can't call yourself a mature Christian if you habitually lose your temper with others on your ministry team. And yes, I'm talking about in their presence or at home after you went home and the meeting was over. You can't call yourself a mature Christian if your social media feed is full of arguments you're having with other believers about which candidate you should support or what political position you should take or what policy the church should have on this issue or that issue. And the list goes on and on and on, right? Because growing up means that recognizing the way that we treat each other matters. And Paul highlights three situations when treating each other is especially important. He says the way we treat each other matters when we've been wronged. When we've been wronged, how many of us have been Christians long enough to know that there will be times when other Christians hurt us? Please, no show of hands. Maybe just a few knowing wise nods. Doesn't take too long to figure it out. I have the feeling that there were plenty of Christians in Colossae that were like a lot of people that joined the church today. They think, my goodness, this is fantastic. An entire community of people who have learned to follow Jesus. An entire community of people that live by turning the other cheek. An entire community of people who love at all times and give and care in every circumstance. I can't possibly imagine what could go wrong. (laughs) But we learn quickly, don't we? Christians are broken people too. I remember when we hired Kelly Greco to be the administrator in the office. Kelly, good to have you back, recovering from your surgery today. I'm gonna to welcome you back by picking on you. For Kelly's first couple of weeks in the office, she was on her best behavior. Because when you get hired at a church, you wanna be on your best behavior. You know what I'm saying? We didn't know Kelly, she didn't know us, so she came in on her best behavior. And then one day I was in her office and Pastor Rachel came in and asked me a question. And to be honest, I don't even remember what Pastor Rachel and I were talking about. But Pastor Rachel and I, many of you know, shared the same spiritual gift. It's the spiritual gift of sarcasm. And we used it with great, great ability. Pastor Rachel asked me some question and I gave her some sarcastic, snarky answer and she looked at me and gave it right back and pretty soon she and I were having a good time just, you know, poking fun at each other and just 
I'm sure it was not good. Let me just say that. I'm sure it was not good. And at some point in this conversation, I looked over and Kelly was kind of rubbing her brow and she said, I thought there would be more Jesus. (laughs) I thought there would be more Jesus. How many of us have ever looked around at the church and in all seriousness said, I thought there would be more Jesus? Yep. Whoa. I mean, it's one thing, it's one thing for a couple of friends to act like goofballs and pull each other's legs and have a good time. But unfortunately, the deeper truth is that there are plenty of circumstances where Christians do the wrong thing. A lot of times by accident, right? We're broken, right? We, we make mistakes. And if you haven't heard a Christian say, I'm sorry, in a long time, Something needs to change. But you know what? Sometimes we hurt each other and it wasn't a mistake. Sometimes there's brokenness. Sometimes there's sin. Sometimes there's all sorts of things that can happen. Sometimes we do the wrong thing and we end up hurting each other in the process. And what does maturity look like in those moments? Paul says it looks like this. Verse 13, he says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive. Now, what I would like Paul to have said here is, and so when somebody who is your brother and sister in Christ hurts you, what you need to do is highlight that fault. Assert your superiority, your spiritual superiority, Pastor Dan. Teach the wrongdoer a lesson. Correct them, rebuke them sharply, and make sure everybody knows that they were not acting like Jesus. Wouldn't we all like that a little bit better? Doesn't that feel nicer? Don't we wish that's the way it worked? But no, Paul says, no, 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 no. When you've been hurt, you need to make allowance for the fault in your brother or in your sister. And you need to forgive. Now, I am not suggesting, and I don't for a minute think that Paul is suggesting that what this means is that Christians are supposed to ignore one another's bad behaviors. Read the rest of the New Testament. Paul did not ignore bad behavior, right? We know that for sure. That's not what he's saying here. He isn't saying that if you've been hurt by somebody, you're supposed to just suck it up and go on with life. That's not what forgiveness actually looks like. And I I could preach an entirely different sermon here about what forgiveness looks like because frankly, I don't think we always have a very good idea of how forgiveness works. But suffice to say for today, forgiveness has nothing to do with me ignoring your fault and choosing to continue to live in a state where I'm going to be hurt and abused again and again and again. That is not what I'm saying. But he does say forgiveness. He does say forgive. The way we treat one another when we have been hurt matters. The point here is that even in those more dangerous kinds of situations, spiritual maturity dictates that in Christ, we are not the kind of people who match offense with offense. We don't fight fire with fire. Stupidest expression I've ever heard in my life. Doesn't it just make a bigger fire? Right? We don't fight fire with fire. Jesus has given us a better way. And that better way really has to show up in the way we treat each other, not only when we've been wronged, but also when we are in conflict. Can I make a confession, tell you something here? I don't know if you've thought this or know this or think this about me, but I need to tell you, I 
Reverend Daniel L. Martinson of Sound Heart and Sound Mind most of the time. I do not agree with every Christian I've ever met. I want to zoom in a little bit closer here. I, Daniel L. Martinson, Reverend Sound Heart, Sound Mind, so on and so forth, right? I do not agree with every Christian in this church. Oh, snap. Let me, let me raise you one here. Let me, I'm going to go a step. Is there grace? Can I take it a step further? No. <laughs> Ryan says, no, I got to pray and dismiss. Everybody go home. No, here, here, here it is. Garrett's not here. It's fine. The staff at this church, the leaders at this church, the deacons at HRCC, these are my closest partners in ministry. I love every one of them. And I thank God for every one of them. But I don't agree with every one of them. Not all the time. In fact, I think our church functions best when the leaders are able to sit down with one another and say, Hey, Dad, I don't think you're seeing this the right way. Can we talk it through together? And then we work it out like mature believers are supposed to. The Apostle Paul says this in verse 15. He says, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. He does not say as members of one body, you are called to agree on every detail of everything. So there's never a hint of conflict between you. Doesn't say that because that's not how it works. He says, as members of one body, even when there is conflict between you, you are called to live in peace. I want to tell you about our deacon meetings. We had a deacon meeting just this, this last Thursday night. I love our deacon meetings. And one of the things that I have come to really appreciate about our deacons, especially in the last maybe four or five years, is that we don't always agree on everything. We don't always agree on everything. If I'm being honest, I feel like it took us some time to get to that point where that was okay. There was a time when, more often than not, I would go to the deacon meetings and say, okay, here's the thing, and here's the report I'm given, and here's what I think we ought to do, and the deacons would say, okay, sounds good to us. But I don't think that's really how healthy leadership works. I don't think that's how healthy community works. We have an environment in our deacon meetings now where I come and say, here's the report and here's the thing and here's how this, and the deacons are willing to say, yeah, I have a question about that. Did you consider this? Or why don't we look into that? I'd like to talk about this. And as a result, I feel like we're getting a lot more done. We're getting a lot more accomplished. I'm grateful for the fact that we don't always agree on everything. Does that sound strange? I think it's good. There have been long, thoughtful discussions and debates even in that room on a number of issues. And on more than one occasion, we've had to come to a decision where not everybody around the table sees everything the same way. That's okay. But do you know what we've never done? We don't argue. We don't scream. We don't threat. We don't disparage. We don't belittle. We don't power play. We don't do any of those things. You know why? Because there's too much maturity in that room. HRCC, you've selected some really, really mature leaders for this church. Scott, Bob, Angie, and Tracy, Maria. They're the ones that are in there now. There's too much maturity in that room. Sometimes there's conflict. That's okay. 
but how we treat each other matters. Too often, I think, people in the church have this false idea that becoming more mature in our faith means that we are gradually all going to be assimilated into a single way of thinking about every last thing. There will be no more conflict because we will all reach perfect enlightenment. It sounds like that's the way it should work, right? And when that happens, if I do disagree with somebody, if I am in conflict with somebody, there's really only one of two possibilities. Either they're not as mature as I am, and therefore they need to be taught a lesson, or I'm not as mature as they are, and so I better just be quiet before I let anybody on to the fact that I'm not as mature as I maybe should be. But that's not at all how it works. Paul says, this side of heaven, we will always have the potential to see things differently from one another. Paul writes in another one of his letters, you know, life, this side of heaven is like trying to look into a mirror and the mirror is old and dirty and cracked and cruddy and you can kind of see what's going on, but you can't really see what's going on. And somebody else looks from a different angle and they see something. It's just hard sometimes. There's going to be conflict. When some other Christian thinks differently than you, don't assume that they just haven't learned as much as you have. Don't assume that they're wrong. Don't assume that you're wrong. And definitely don't make it an opportunity to escalate a conflict. Instead, take the opportunity to learn a little more. Take the opportunity to listen a little more, to engage a little more, to submit a little more. That's what maturity in the body of Christ looks like. There's one other example Paul gives us. How mature believers ought to treat one another. He says it becomes especially important for us to treat each other well when we can help. When we can help. A huge part of Christian maturity is recognizing that God has placed you in the body of Christ so that you can strengthen the body of Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you have something important to contribute to your church. Paul put it this way in verse 16. He said, for example, teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. And he goes on after that to describe encouraging one another, uh, worshiping together, acting like Jesus in everything you do in your interactions with one another. Why? Because somebody is going to need you someday. Somebody is going to need your words of encouragement. Somebody is going to need your counsel, your wisdom. Not necessarily to say, well, I've read the Bible 434 times and this is exactly what you need to do, brother. Not necessarily that. How about, I'm just going to receive that and pray with you about that. I believe God can do a miracle in your life. Come on, how many times do you have to have read the Bible through to be able to do that? How about a word of counsel, a word of encouragement, a word that says, you know what? I don't have the answer, but together let's pray about it. Together let's, let, let's press forward. I'm with you. You need my help and I'm with you. When we come to faith in Jesus, we look around at the community. We look up and down the pews in the church and it feels like everybody knows more than we do. Everybody else is an expert and we're just here to soak up as much as possible and and figure things out without embarrassing ourselves, right? How many have been in that situation? 
And that's fine for a little while. But we can't let too much time go by before we realize that God has called us to that community because he wants to use us to shape that community. Did you recognize that when you were called to faith? You didn't come to this church just to receive. Maturity means recognizing that you came here because God said that church needs you. That church needs you. They've been looking for a Kim for a long time. They need you. They've been looking for an Eddie for a long time. They need you. I think about HRCC. I love the stories that are represented in the faces that I'm looking at just now. And as I go back and forth across the congregation, there's some faces where I I can just click off year after year after decade after decade in some circumstances of faithful growing up in the faith. And I'm grateful for that. But today I want to highlight the fact that there are those whose journey is much younger than others. But that doesn't mean that you're of no value to this congregation. That doesn't mean that you have nothing to contribute. That doesn't mean that we don't need you probably a whole lot more than you realize. I think of, well, Chris, you haven't been with us a long time. Four years? I mean, that that still places you on the rookie end of things compared to Shirley a couple rows behind you. But Chris, you're teaching, us, you're teaching us about prayer. You're teaching us about faithfulness, and I see Jesus in you. I feel him in me. Amen. Michael, I'm calling you out, bro. And it's not because of your Packer fandom. <laughs> but when you first started coming to this church, it was because your wife came. And, you know, good. But man, God has transformed you in the last couple of years. Amen. And Michael is teaching us about what tenderheartedness looks like towards his brothers and sisters. Listen to this guy talk about his church family. Michael, I see Jesus in you. Don, I remember when you came to us. You were raw, girl. You were raw. But here's a woman who's teaching her church family what it looks like to live in faith. To say, you know what, this is what God has said, and God bless it, I'm just going to obey. We're learning because we see Jesus in you. Kat, when you came to us, you were raw. You were raw. And now you're a leader in this congregation. You know why? Because we see Jesus in you. Okay, everybody relax. I'm not going to call anybody else out. Everybody's like, oh man, that was close. But I could. I love my church. I love my church. And it's not just a slogan on a bumper sticker. I could go up and down and tell stories about each one of you. I could brag about each one of you. And if you don't believe me, challenge accepted. Come find me. I'll tell you the story about you. I'll tell you what I think. Yeah, I will. I love my church. And one of the things I love about my church is I'm not the only one who loves my church. Does that make sense? I'm not the only one who loves my church. So you don't believe what I'm saying, fine. I'm the pastor. You have to go to somebody else and say, hey, what do I bring to this kind? Am I really contributing here? You're going to find out real quick. 
that how we treat one another matters when we can help. And we can all help. We can all help. HRCC, this is what spiritual maturity looks like. All of this stuff, and it's good stuff. There's a reason that Paul has spent a couple of pages on talking to us about changing our heavenly perspective and talking to us about the lordship of Christ and talking to us about, do you remember the circumcision sermon? That was a little awkward, wasn't it, right? There's these things that are very esoteric and and they're important. But there comes a time for every one of us when we want to say, please just make it practical. Please just give me a thing that I can do. And Paul says, let's start here. How we treat each other matters. Is that a word for the church today? Is that a word for the church today? How we treat each other matters. Do you recognize that we're not even talking yet about how we treat people outside the church This is not about lost people today. This is not about we have to love the world. That's not, no, 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 no. Let's just start here. 101, how we treat each other matters. So we've got some work to do. We've got some work to do. There are things that we can all learn from one another about growing up, about treating one another well, about looking more like journey, uh, more like Jesus, excuse me. The journey, the journey isn't over yet. But I've got good news. Good news is one day it will be. There's this other letter that Paul wrote in our Bibles. He wrote it to the church in Ephesus. And he's talking about the very same thing. He's talking about maturity. He's talking about growing up within the body of Christ. And he says this in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. No hands are necessary, but let me just ask you this rhetorically. Anybody there yet? No, I didn't think so. But we're going to get there. What's Paul describing? He's describing heaven. There's going to come a day when we shall behold him. Amen? And do we recognize that that doesn't just mean, oh, there he is, I can see him now. No, it's much richer than that. There is coming a day when we shall behold him. We shall be like him. We shall be with him. And life as he intended, heaven, will be our reality. we got a lot of work to do, and it's not done yet, but one day it will be. Can I remind you that in heaven, there is no offense. We don't have to worry about how we treat each other when we're offended, because there is no offense. In heaven, there is no hurt. We don't have to worry about how we treat each other when we hurt one another, because there is no hurt. In heaven, there is no pain. There is no conflict. There's no need for counsel. That just kind of sat with me in a, in a different way when I put this sermon together. Did, did you ever think about that? In heaven, you're never going to have to worry about another decision. For eternity. How many want to say, hallelujah, I'm not going to have to think about another thing for all eternity. I'm never going to have to decide if I want a side salad or fries because I won't have any decisions to make because it's going to be heaven. 
Am I the only one who was, who was encouraged by that today? I'm not going to wrestle with things. I'm not going to lay awake anymore wondering what if. Because in the kingdom of God, only one thing matters, and that's Jesus. And we shall behold him. We aren't going to have to worry about any of those things. Because it's just going to be us. All. And Jesus. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back and I'm going to ask you to take your communion emblems. They're going to lead us in a song. Then I'm going to come back and we'll receive communion together. I think they're going to sing the song, All Who Are Thirsty. Is that what's on the list? The refrain of this song says, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. I want to encourage you as you prepare your hearts for communion today to remember that that's not just a request God, get me off the ride. I'm tired and I wish it was over. No, come Lord Jesus, come is a subversive, revolutionary idea. God, we aren't going to live according to the rules of this kingdom anymore. We're going to live according to the rules of another kingdom where Jesus is king. And of all the things that I just said don't exist in heaven, you know what does exist in heaven? Hint. Take a quick peek to your left and to your right. The people you're sitting with exist in heaven. So learning how to love one another well isn't just a nice little moral Oprah teaching. It's preparing for heaven. It's preparing for heaven. It's demonstrating and calling into this reality the existence of the kingdom we can't see it. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Means help me to grow up in maturity so that I'm ready for that day comes. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Means help me to love my brothers and sisters well. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Means be with me, Lord, as I strive in my journey toward maturity in the faith. Come, Lord Jesus, come.
I tell you a little bit about the 12 disciples? What a group. Simon the Zealot was essentially a domestic terrorist. He had taken a vow to hurt, destroy, kill if he could, tax collectors who were conspirators with the Romans. He was sitting across the table from Matthew, the tax collector. I wonder if Jesus ever made them be roommates on the road. <laughs> then you've got James and John who enlisted their mommy to try and have her convince Jesus to give them the two thrones of highest honor in heaven. These boys who had been wrestling with each other on the shores of the Sea of Galilee since they were three years old were all about which one of them was more important. And the whole group of 12 was known for their arguments about which the 12 of them was the greatest. Including on the day of the Last Supper. <laughs> you would think three years later they would have got it, but Luke tells us no, even that day they were arguing about which one of them was the greatest. And so what does Jesus do? He gathers them around a table. Did you notice that Jesus never served communion to one person by themselves? No, he gathered this group with all of their faults, with all of their foibles, with all of their rough edges. He gathers them around a table and he says, I want you to all take a piece of this bread. It's all from the same loaf. You want to grow up in this faith, you're going to have to learn how to work together. You're going to have to treat each other well. You're going to have to recognize that the symbol of greatness is not a throne and, and authority and power and muscle and might. The emblem of greatness is a broken piece of bread. You want to grow up in this family? Start looking like this. I believe he said, guys, I love you. I love you. Let's eat together. Can I paraphrase a little? Can I add a little imagination? I wonder if he said at some point to those disciples, you know, you all talk a lot about conquest. Y'all talk a lot about spilling the blood of the enemy. He said, I need you to recognize that the only spilled blood that matters in this journey towards maturity is mine. It's been poured out for you. So take a look around the table. It's how you treat each other matters. And let's take a drink together. Father, I love my church. I love that you've placed me here. Because I'm just barely smart enough to know that I'm not perfect. That I am very much a work in progress. That there are things in me that despite all of the work that Jesus has already done, still need attention. 
there are, if I'm being polite, rough edges that still need to be worn down. There's hardness and there's callous that is not yet fully realized what it is to look like Jesus. But Lord, knowing that you took me and placed me in a community of believers that are going to encourage me, they're going to surround me, they're going to cover me. Lord, sometimes they're going to be the very sandpaper I need. But I'm sure that along the way, you're going to step on my toes once in a while. I know I don't always agree with every one of them on every single last thing. Thank you for reminding me today that that's okay. That's part of what growing up looks like. Lord, help us all to treat one another in a manner that is worthy of being called Christ-like. Help us all to treat one another well. Help us never to become victims of that lie that our maturity depends first and foremost about how big we are or how old we are or about how much we know. But help us, Lord, to remember this very simple truth. You want to start growing up? Start with the way we treat each other. I thank you that there is forgiveness in this place. I thank you that there is grace in this place. I thank you, Lord, that there is Christ-likeness in this place. And I thank you, Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we are, in fact, growing up. Help us to be mindful of it, we pray. It's in Jesus' name that everybody says, Amen. Amen. Amen.